I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. The Chronicle has spent nearly two years investigating San Francisco's supportive housing program. Single-room occupancy buildings, or SROs, are aimed at providing shelter for the city's most vulnerable residents, people who are unhoused and face challenges like physical disabilities, mental illness, and substance use disorders. San Francisco has invested hundreds of millions of dollars into the program, which has been around for decades. Reporters Trisha Thadani and Joaquin Palomino's award-winning investigations found that SROs are plagued with a number of issues, unsafe and unsanitary living conditions, residents being evicted for the very reasons that landed them there to begin with, and fatal drug overdoses. Following those earlier investigations, Mayor London Breed's administration set aside millions of additional dollars to bolster staffing and maintenance, but issues persist. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Joaquin Palomino joins me to discuss the newsroom's latest look at how SROs are falling short, high rates of vacancies inside the building despite the city's dire homelessness crisis. Nearly a 1,000 supportive housing units sat empty last year. The city invests hundreds of millions of dollars to move people on the streets inside. Why is it taking so long to fill the rooms? And do some unhoused people say staying outside is better? Joaquin Palomino, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Joaquin, you and fellow reporter Trisha Thadani, you guys have spent nearly two years investigating San Francisco's SROs, and you've looked at a variety of issues, and now this latest story looks at SRO vacancies. How does this latest installment build off your previous reporting? Yeah, the problem with vacancies in supportive housing is pretty closely linked to a lot of the other things we have covered about this system. And so this issue of vacancies has always been in the background throughout our reporting. You know, we've always been aware of it. The city held a hearing on the topic in in 2020, and that was even back when the vacancy rate was far lower than it is today. Other media outlets have covered this, including a pretty big piece in the public press that came out last year. And so we've been aware of this problem for a while. We decided to dive into it now because, you know, even despite the attention this issue has gotten and how frustrating it is for for both residents of this city, policymakers, homeless people, people living in the supportive housing system too, the problem has just persisted. And so we decided to take a pretty close look at it and just sort of try and understand why it seems so unfixable. And your reporting notes that the vacancy rate has gotten higher over the years. Just how many of the city's supportive housing units are sitting empty? So yeah, as I mentioned, this issue was sort of first discussed by city leaders in 2020. And at the time, the vacancy rate was between 6 and 8% in the supportive housing stock. It's now 10% or about 900 units that are just sitting vacant. And that number's remained more or less the same for about a year. It's ebbed and flowed a bit, but it's stayed at about 10% for the past year. So the city is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to support this program. And hearing about these vacancies, it's striking because, I mean, aside from just having more people out on the streets, what are the consequences of these vacancies. As you mentioned, the the biggest consequence is obviously that people who could be housed are not being housed. And because of how the city prioritizes people for housing, these are some of the most vulnerable people in the city. And so that's the biggest 
impact of this. There's also the financial implications. You know, it is in some ways a wasted resource. The city is paying still for these units or some of these units, and they are not being used. And I remember in our previous conversations about your other investigations into SROs, the program is really managed by nonprofit operators, and they've often said they just don't have enough money to properly run these buildings. What's the financial impact for them of having these vacancies? People in support of housing pay rent, and when these vacancies pile up, so does the lost rental income for nonprofit housing providers. So we talked to some who reported losing hundreds of thousands of dollars per year due to vacancies. Mm. And that might not be a huge share of a nonprofit's total budget to operate a building, but it adds up and it makes it harder to maintain these buildings, which, as we've documented in sort of prior stories in this series, are really old. They have a lot of wear and tear on them, and sometimes they're in desperate need of upgrades as well. And it just makes it that much harder to sort of stay on top of of these issues. So let's get into the reasons why these SRO buildings are remaining vacant. One of the main issues is the city's referral system of placing people into this housing. It's called coordinated entry. Tell me how it works and what kinds of issues did you find? So in 2018, the Department of Homelessness adopted the system coordinated entry, which is basically a ranking system. It measures which homeless people are the most vulnerable, and then it prioritizes those people for housing. And so before coordinated entry, nonprofits had a a lot more freedom to sort of work directly with case managers, outreach teams to find tenants themselves. But now, since 2018, the Homelessness Department is largely responsible for placing people into supportive housing. And there have just been a lot of technical issues with that system. So some nonprofit housing providers say they can wait weeks, months to receive referrals to empty units. And these, again, are units that they have no power to sort of fill themselves. We talked to one provider who said he had one room that has been empty for 600 or 700 days. And then the other thing with coordinated entry is the people who are coming into these buildings often need a lot of support as they transition to housing because it is prioritizing people with the most trauma, who have been homeless the longest, who have the most pressing health needs. And that support, I mean, it's not always there in these SROs. Until recently, they relied pretty extensively on case managers who were pretty overworked and and poorly paid to sort of help these tenants navigate moving into housing. And how has the city responded to these concerns over its slow referral process that's leaving these rooms empty? So to their credit, the Homelessness Department recognizes that it needs to bring this vacancy rate down. They are in the process of making some changes to try and do that. So they expanded a team whose sole job is to connect people who have been approved for housing through coordinated entry with an available unit. And so this worked really well during COVID when they're trying to move people out of tourist hotels that were converted into shelters. And so they're basically hoping to replicate that success now as they try and move people from the streets or from shelters into housing. Also, they started a batch referral process. So before they would send one prospective tenant to a building and they might turn it down and then they would have to sort of restart the whole process to find a person to go live into that unit. Now they're sending sort of groups of approved tenants who could be placed into any of the empty units in a housing provider's portfolio. They've also invested into staffing, put some money into repairing some of these buildings. And sort of lastly, they're 
in the midst of a pretty big overhaul of coordinated entry. And so a lot of people we talked to said they were sort of hopeful that that could help fix some of these bottlenecks that that have been making it so hard to fill these vacancies. Now, your investigation also found that 40% of rooms were just unavailable or offline because they were in need of serious cleaning and repair. You've investigated these conditions. Remind us exactly what kind of conditions are these rooms in? So, yeah, these rooms were mostly unavailable due to maintenance issues or they needed to be cleaned before someone could move in. Some had been sealed shut by the medical examiner because someone had died inside. One of our prior stories just looked at at the uh, really concerning amount of overdose deaths inside some of these hotels. These buildings, as I mentioned, are, are really old. Most of them were built after the 1906 earthquake. They've been through a lot of wear and tear. They have a lot of deferred maintenance issues, and they don't always have the biggest budgets to fix those. That can include replacing flooring, repairing walls, dealing with plumbing or electrical issues. Sometimes they have to bring in outside contractors, which we've heard can be really challenging in the tenderloin specifically. Mm -hmm. And then sort of compounding all of that are the staffing issues that nonprofits have struggled with now for a a long time. And so the pay for janitors and maintenance workers is not very high for these buildings. The work conditions are really hard there's turnover and things can just sort of pile up. What kind of living conditions inside SRO buildings are keeping unhoused residents from accepting placement? Chronicle investigative reporter Joaquin Palomino explains after a quick break. We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. Joaquin Palomino, in your investigation with fellow reporter Trisha Thadani, you spoke to people who made the choice to not accept placement into SRO buildings. What did they say? Yeah, I mean, I guess just to sort of back up on on the process, every person who is approved for housing through coordinated entry is given three options. Sometimes there isn't much choice, right? It might be one of three SRO rooms in the Tenderloin or along 6th Street that are not that different from each other. But there are some buildings that are just less desirable, either due to conditions inside the hotel or sometimes in the surrounding neighborhood as well. And over the course of the reporting, we've talked to many people. We've seen many public records indicating that there are people who just don't want to live in SROs. And some, you know, told us that it's just they they know what the conditions are like. It would feel like they couldn't pull their lives together in that environment necessarily. Another big sticking point for a lot of people is the lack of private bathrooms or unreliable elevators or no elevators, which can be a real issue for seniors and people's mobility issues, which are a lot of these tenants are seniors or people's mobility issues. Mm-hmm. People say that they would rather just wait, wait for something better for something more appropriate, somewhere where they can sort of feel comfortable and and live with dignity. Joaquin, tell me more about a building that you investigated that really displayed these kinds of issues. So one of the buildings we profile in this latest article was the RT, which is a SRO in the Tenderloin. It's on Leavenworth Street. 
It specifically houses transitional age youth, so people between 18 and 24, most with mental health conditions. And that building for much of last year was between 40 and 50% empty. A lot of the tenants who were being offered a placement there just didn't want to live there. And and the biggest issue, I mean, the, the rooms are small, there's no private bathrooms, but a big issue for a lot of tenants who toured it was the neighborhood itself. And you had a lot of people saying they didn't feel safe in the Tenderloin, in that particular part of the Tenderloin. The city and the Homeless Department really struggled to get people to move in to that building in particular. And so there are issues with the buildings. There are issues with the, you know, computer systems that are used to sort of place people in the housing. But then some of these other problems with the Tenderloin, whether it's the drug markets or the crime or just the sort of unsavory conditions in certain areas can really repel some people who just don't want to live in that area. And that is where most of the supportive housing is concentrated. Has the city or the nonprofit operators that manage these SRO buildings, have they shared ideas on encouraging people to accept placements? Not that I've heard of. The city is trying to make some of these older SROs more appealing to tenants. They set aside $5 million to make improvements in in some of the buildings. But again, this is a, a big system. We're talking about 80 SROs. The city is also now only buying or leasing buildings that have private bathrooms Mm. because they've learned that that is really the most important thing for a lot of tenants. And that is one of the most common reasons tenants will turn these residential hotels down. And then when we were actually looking at the vacancy data, we also saw that some of the newer supportive housing buildings, so not all supportive housing sites are in these aging SROs. Some of these buildings are, are sort of newly built, really thoughtfully designed units, and they don't really have trouble with vacancies in the same way that these older SROs do. And so, you know, the city is expanding that type of housing as well, in addition to when they are leasing some of these SROs, just ensuring that people at least have their own bathrooms. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important to underscore that, you know, the city has spent, at least this fiscal year, $356 million to run these buildings. That's a lot of money, but it also feels like it's just not being well spent if there are so many vacancies, as your reporting highlights. Something's clearly not working. And I, I wonder for you, is it evident to you as someone who's been reporting and investigating these buildings for years now Where should the city be devoting resources to fix the system, or is it even fixable? Early on, what sort of drew us into looking at this issue now was that there have been many attempts to fix this issue of vacancies. There have been sort of pledges to fix it in the past. The Department of Homelessness is taking this seriously. It is something they want to address. I think it's just a matter of seeing whether or not this new round of of solutions or this new round of proposed fixes sticks and works. Mm. Well, Joaquin, yours and Trisha's reporting has been so eye-opening. I appreciate you sharing with me as always. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's always great talking. Joaquin Palomino is an investigative reporter at The Chronicle. His latest reporting into SRO vacancies was written with former Chronicle reporter Trisha Thadani. Find their award-winning investigations into San Francisco's supportive housing program online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 